Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks is the that's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, Steve would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome into the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Johnny Nani, MWI Steve, and Tony Marchese joining you here on Wednesday, February 22nd, for season four, episode 120 of Sox on Tap. Gentlemen, how are we doing this fine evening? Hump day. We're cracking them, Johnny, and we're here to talk some White Sox baseball. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting topics to get here to today, and uh, I see we've got all three of us here. This is awesome. I know this last time we were all here talking White Sox baseball, guys. It had to be at least over a month ago. Around a month ago. But yeah, it's good to be back. Good to be back. The gang's back together. Steve, how you doing, man? Doing all right, boys. Um, you know, listen, spring training, it's here. First game this weekend. We all know I am a big set the tone kind of guy. And um, I felt like I had to play do my part yesterday. I was out doing some corporate functions and, and corporate after parties and such, hitting the mezcal a little bit hard, trying to set the tone for, for the spring here. So doing my part, you know, it's it's not all just, you know, what the team can do for you, but it's what you can do for the team. I love that take, Steve. Uh, we, we're all about um, the, the prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance, right, Tony? I've said that a million times yep. to you, I think. Absolutely. And um you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to hashtag set the tone. And those shirts that's like that Steve is wearing, excellent looking silver on the black there. Um, you can go on tapsports.bigcartel.com. It's the perfect spring training shirt to get because everyone knows you set the tone for the season down in Glendale, Arizona. Um, but it's great also to support our guy, Tim Anderson, because he, uh, you know, at the top of the lineup, he's the one that has to set the tone. And he's a guy that's topic of much discussion here, guys. I think we should dive right into it because. He made some comments today that made people mad online, if you can believe that, on White Sox Twitter. I can't, for one, I can't believe that uh, people would be hashtag mad online on White Sox Twitter. I mean, that that never happens. Uh, Steve, uh, have you ever seen that before? You know, in my all or part of five different decades watching this team and all of now two decades on twatter.com, I have never, ever seen people hashtag mad online before so this was the first for me this guy's very new we're, we're not even at spring training games yet yes everyone's there now uh pitchers and catchers obviously reported early and then position players are all there now they're, they're doing workouts drills shit like that on the field and then in the meantime tim anderson's going on chuck garfine's podcast and talking to him about you know he's asking things that he's kind of asked everybody right i think he had lance lynn on talk about projections and shit like that but he's asking about you know what went wrong last season lance is very candid about it i think tim anderson was pretty candid about it too but the tone in which that he said some of these comments obviously is what riled up the twatter machine and it was interesting because when i first, i listened to the whole thing that's that's also i want to just preface this because there's a minute long clip that kind of had the i guess spicy portion of it you could say 
But if you listen to the whole thing, there was more than just that when he talked about what went wrong last season, how things unfolded, all shit like that. So when I listened to the whole thing, I didn't think that too, too much of it because I think he covered all bases, did it pretty well, expressed himself, how he felt, how the team felt, and then how fans felt too, um, and acknowledged that. But then in the one clip, um, it sounded like he was mad at fans for being negative. Um, Steve, resident negativity here. Was this a shot directly at you? You know, I don't think it was. Um, admittedly, when I heard the short little soundbite there, I was kind of like, you know, Tim, what the fuck are we doing here? We're, you know, two days in, into camp already, and, and we're doing this thing where we're getting on the fans for, you know, bullshit from last year. And then, as you mentioned, you, you go and you actually listen to the rest of the quote, and it was very innocuous, if, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, I think the consistent theme that we have seen so far out of camp from these guys, this is Tim and pretty much everybody involved, is they do have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder from how last year went. And I think in some ways it might be a good thing for them. How they go about channeling that um, is really going to say a lot about where this team is going to go here in 2023 and i'm particularly interested to get out there in a couple two three weeks and see some of these guys firsthand i'm going to miss obviously a lot of them due to wbc bullshit that's going to be going on but um be interested to get a look at the vibes and that's you know steve i, I think you put that very well in terms of these guys having a chip on their shoulder this season it's something that i don't feel like they had at all last year they're you know the lack of uh, desire to win the lack of TWTW. Um, well, as far as to say, maybe they were, you know, taking on the personality of their half asleep manager. I think that that's just the most ridiculous epic bullshit that you will continue to play all season on this show. I thought we were supposed to move forward, Steve. I thought we were supposed to move forward. I never agreed so to that. To get me I never agreed up. to that. Well, I don't know. He, I heard, he, I heard Pedro Grafal doesn't like fun, so he's happy Billy Hamm this year so i don't know i've seen the guys have a lot of fun down in spring training i thought tony larusa was the guy that was going to kill all the fun but uh you know here we are steve here we are i don't know if it's going to play out in their benefit they might fall flat on their face uh right out of the gate here steve has been talking about this on the show since the schedule was released and sort of the juggernaut that they're going to have to go through early on in the season but i like to see him fired up that's i, I think that's what everybody wants is just to see them fired up and have, as Steve Schertz says, a tone set early on within spring training, because, you know, these are going to be important games here right out of the gate. Absolutely. Um, goes back to set the tone, like, like you just said there. So it is, I will say there is a little bit of a chip there. Uh, we got a, we got a comment here. I asked, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, jump in the YouTube or Facebook comments. Uh, we can't see the Twitter comments, unfortunately, through here or feature them. But if you're on YouTube, like Matthew Lucas here, um, he says he didn't hear the whole clip. It sounded like uh, it offended people at this point. Uh, being pissed at fans media gets you juiced. Fuck it. I'll take whatever motes, motivates them, even if it's annoying as shit. I think that's a good take. And whatever it takes for them. And I also didn't, you know, it, it, the White Sox have done enough to slap their fans in the face, right? That we could go and list off. There's, there's a whole laundry list of it, right? Um, for shit that went on this offseason. But I didn't even start. <laughs> I didn't even take too much offense to this, though, because, like I said, listen to the whole thing. It's only like 20 minutes long. And you'll understand. Tim Anderson acknowledged that shit went awry last season. And all he was asking for 
and I don't even think he was pleading to anybody. He just wants some positive energy around. And I think that's what a fresh start can bring. Um, and th- that's kind of more of what he was getting at. At least that's the overall theme I took away. Um, obviously some certain talking heads, um, didn't agree with that, but, um, makes for the banter uh, that we have here. I will say there was one thing that he worded a little bit weirdly when he said like, you know, Oh, if your wife's having a bad day, you know, you, you support her, pat her on the back. Um, I think that was just a weird, like oddly worded, thing i don't know just maybe could have used a different terminology but he's also on the spot he's fucking particularly coming from tim yeah he's <laughs> yeah right there's there's that layer to it too but at the same time there's also like a you know well why are you, i would have been like you know it's like well they're your team right you're gonna they that should be the you know one that you support at the end of the day sure we can get pissed off at them at certain junctures but remember steve you, we don't you know we kind of rip on you for uh being the it's over guy here especially last year but go and turn it back to 2021 when the vibes were good and there was a lot of positivity surrounding this team so i think he just wants to return to that at least that's what i took away from it Unfortunately, they're not going to be able to erase what happened last year as much as anybody. On that, yeah, as much as anybody wants to. And, and I'm sure that there's multiple guys on that ball club. I mean, you heard the Lance Lynn interview, too, with with Chuck. And, you know, he talks about beating the projections and not caring about what Zips has to say. And uh, then you get this Tim Anderson clip. I, I I would be hard pressed to think that anybody in camp there outside of maybe Andrew Benintendi, uh, you know, really was proud of what happened last year. And and Benintendi's obviously new to the club, but they're going to have to gel early and and try and get past whatever happened last year. And I think it's, you know, it's within Tim Anderson's right to say, you know, he wants those vibes back. I think that the Sox have actually taken a couple of steps with bringing back Elvis Andrews, bringing back Billy Hamilton, guys that have been around the clubhouse, been around these guys before, and uh, bring a little bit more of that. I mean, you look back at the end of last season, and there was like one guy playing. That was Elvis Andrews, like professional level baseball. So, you know, hopefully we entered this season and things are more positive. You've seen a little bit more social media guys having fun and stuff so far early in spring training. And then today's clip, it just felt like, you know, the whole, you know, world fell apart because of a couple of words that were cut into a one minute video clip. That was sort of my take on this. You know, what will help to kind of get people to forget about 2022. If you come out and you start like 23 and 17, do something like that. Yep. That'll erase the negativity. Winning cures everything. Wild fact. That's big facts. news is true. Hashtag facts only. I mean, like I, I just go back to the contrast in 2021, both fan kind of experience and morale versus 2022 and polar opposites, right? And Kim That's wants what to happens when you remove Budweiser and, and Anheuser-Busch right. products from a stadium. Well, I, I agree 100% on that for our purposes there tony but um on the uh you know like just on how you feel about the team right because it's it's an everyday grind it's every day you gotta you know last year you couldn't escape it sure i know people tried to like tune out or maybe not be as as invested but they're still your team so you're gonna watch right we fucking sat through shit in 2018 uh you know a hundred lost season granted that was a different time period in the rebuild however they're still your team still watched it right still pay attention. So um, I want those vibes back too, Tim. I think, you know, 
ruffle some feathers there. I'm along with uh, Matt's comment here that, that was in here earlier that whatever it takes, get him juiced up. I'm really okay with it. Um, any, any other final thoughts on TA before we move on to the next chapter of the show? Be the guy at the top of the lineup to set the tone. That's it. Plain and simple. Nothing more. Well said. Nothing more there. Let's move on. Another story that came out today. Eloy Jimenez. Uh, I guess he's on the Lucas Giolito kind of program of slimming down. I'm um, getting a little more lean. Uh, he said that he dropped 25 to 30 pounds this off season, and he wanted to do that. That was something that he was uh, kind of a level he was at in the minors, had success with it. Uh, thought, why not do that here? And that he feels, uh, you know, quicker and faster um, because of that weight drop. And um, obviously, I think this indicates, guys, something we've talked about previously on the show. Uh, but He's committed and he wants to stick in the outfield. And we have our own feelings about that because we've just seen the injury history and we need we know the value of his bat in the lineup. However, like Pedro Griefel said, I kind of agree with him here. That's the attitude that you kind of want him to have, though. What is he going to do as a young player like that? Roll over and say that I'm not going to be committed to doing anything I can to help this team. So um, I think it's interesting. I really hope it doesn't detract from power, though, because I... No, he does it pretty effortlessly, but I guess that was my first thought. And he says that it's going to make him swing freely, and I don't know if it's going to be an issue. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I just That's what kind of first popped in my mind for when we were going to discuss this. I mean, I still expect Eloy Jimenez to be primarily a DH this season. I don't know if the weight loss is going to subtract from the power. It might actually keep him a little bit healthier throughout this season, get some more plate appearances. Obviously, the whole cliche of showing up to spring training in the best shape of your life is something that we've seen as White Sox fans many, many times. But overall, I think the importance here is you really need Eloy Jimenez in that lineup as many games as you possibly can this season. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as big of a factor in Eloy Jimenez's play overall comparative to, you know, the Lucas Giolito weight loss program. And Steve wrote about that over at ONTAP Sportsnet just the other day, but I'm not really too concerned with Eloy's weight. Um, you know, if it does help him, you know, move around the outfield a little bit better, not get injured running to first base uh, and that so forth, then I think it's a, a positive development uh, rather than a negative one. I think, you know, Johnny, kind of getting back to <clears throat> what you talked about, his mindset, and we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, you know, Anthony, you and I, um, when you said that you were concerned that he was going to be playing right field quite a bit. And I said at the time, he's 25 years old. What is he supposed to say that I'm content to be a full-time DH? But he actually took that and he showed the initiative again to get himself into better playing shape. I think we can all kind of agree that he's a, a little bit soft fit physically. Um, he's not, you know, the prototypical, you know, buffed up. Like he's not Luis Robert, you know? So in this sense, him getting, you know, slimming down, that could be a thing that maybe helps to decrease some of the soft tissue injuries that we've seen from him so much over the course of the last couple of years. Um, just, you know, seeming like jogging in, in the outfield for, for balls or running down the first baseline. Maybe this is the type of thing that's going to help keep him a little more limber, keep him in the lineup. 
more frequently, allowing him to do more damage with the bat. I'm not necessarily concerned either about a decrease in his overall power production as a result of it. Um, he still has a very fluid easy swing. And I think that that power just naturally manifests itself. So I don't think dropping the weight is going to be that much of a hindrance on him from a power standpoint. Right. And as you bring that point up, Steve, about staying in the lineup more frequently, which obviously we need uh, given his injury woes of the past and then the importance of this upcoming season. Um, we got a quote from uh, hitting coach Jose Castro and he says 150 games of Eloy should be good for 30 to 40 home runs. That brings me to a question for you guys. Predictions on how many games Eloy will actually play in. And this can go out a number of directions with this. So I'd just like to hear thoughts on this. And I think, you know, given his injury history, it's pretty safe to say we're going to probably see at least an IL stint or two this season. I mean, it just in baseball in general, it's hard to play 150 games. Uh, you know, I'd probably go out on a, on a limb here and say, if we do see a really fairly healthy season from Eloy Jimenez, I'm thinking probably around 125 to 130 games out of him. Uh, you know, if we get really, really lucky, yeah, maybe we get that 150. I'd love to, to see that, but I'll err on the side of a little bit of caution and kind of put him towards the middle there. One, 125 ish is sort of what I'm expecting, Steve. I'm going to go ahead and say he's going to play 152 games through the month of November. Ooh. I like that. That's bold. That's, that's wow. That was that something positive from Steve there, Tony? I think it might've been that what it was. I'm sort of shocked. The positive outlook there. Yeah. I think I can't even see, I can't even see the shock in your eyes. Anthony. Where are my shades? He can't see uh, the shock in my eyes. Steve is obviously impressed with the weight drop there. No. And you're right. That that absolutely could be a factor in him being more limber and being able to stay on the field. And obviously I think there's other factors that go into it, like the usage and obviously a guy that we're going to get to later in the show, Oscar Colas, how he performed, um, possibly t- is he going to take over right field is he going to be a you know phenom come up being a guy who rakes immediately tony like we w- would love to have and we see so often other places but it usually takes longer here uh for whatever reason so um th- i think that's a factor to consider there too i'll go mm-hmm. a little bit lower than you guys there i'll put it over 100 um but let's say what do you say tony about 125 yep knock knock five or six off of that. So uh, I'll go right around one twenty, one nineteen. Okay. But I, I think, you know, I, I would rather side with Steve here, Johnny. Like I want to see a very I wanna, dominant. I want to see, I want to see it too. You had said probably going to be an IL stint, but given his history, I feel like it's not just a 10 day thing with him when it happens. It's a, you know, knockout close to like a month or something like that. That's just my gut feeling. It is. He seems like a guy that is very slow to recover from anything. He comes back from uh, multiple setback type guy. Uh, and let's try and avoid that all season. I, I hope that the reduced playing time in the outfield, coupled with the being in the best shape of his life, Eloy Jimenez, leads to positive results. There we go. I like that. Best shape of his life. Best, Best shape, shape of, his of his life, just like Lucas Giolito, right, Steve? Mm-hmm. You, you, wrote, you wrote a little ditty about that over at uh, uh, ontapsportsnet.com. Go, go and check that out if you want to read about another uh, White Sox uh, player who's, you know, 
employing weight loss as a you know tool for limberness and staying on the field and um, improving his play overall. So, all right, uh, let's move on from Eloy and talk about Elvis re-entering the building. Elvis is hashtag back one year, $3 million deal. Rick Khan has already said he's going to play second base. So um, I like this move, guys. Tony, you and I were talking about it yesterday. Every day that passed, got a little more nervous. I think I bit off a little bit more of my fingernails, but I'm happy he's back. Your guys' reaction to the signing. I love it. I think that, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, entering the season with Romy Gonzalez and, and Lenin Sosa just sort of left some something to be desired. Um, you know, I, I know Steve also went sort of in depth on this over the offseason in a PC road as well uh, about the second base options that the White Sox had internally. Uh, I just I think that, you know, a it's a good clubhouse move. He's familiar with the place. He had a resurgent uh, sort of, it's not even a second half. So we do have some small sample size stuff to watch out here for guys. Um, You know, just to be cautious with this, I don't expect him to perform at the same levels that he did towards the end of last season, but he's an MLB veteran. He's a guy that is, you know, just going to be a professional when he's here. It's going to sort of set the tone for some of these younger options to have to earn their spot. If they're going to overtake them, I think competition internally within the team is good. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a low cost one year deal. Uh, There's nothing really there that's the white Sox are going to, you know, lose out on uh, per se. If he performs poorly, he's out the door. Um, And, you know, that's it. So I think this was for lack of a better term, a good move, but, in the end, there's really, really low risk here. And I think his bat is just going to play in that lineup a little bit better, especially at the start of the season, than either of the other two options the White Sox had in camp. So therefore, uh, you know, I'm very happy with this. Steve? No, I I agree. It's a a low-risk, high-reward move. Um, Talked about all offseason trying to diminish – as much uncertainty as possible going into the season with, you know, a combination of Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa. There's a lot of uncertainty there because those are unestablished guys at the major league level. So to your point, Anthony, I don't think Elvis Andrus is going to go out there and be the guy that he was for the two months that he was here in, in 2022, but he doesn't need to be, if he can go out and just be a guy that's, you know, a two to two and a half win player, there's a lot of value to that. And this is, uh, again, a well-established big league veteran knows what it takes to be successful at the major league level. And it just, this is the type of move that smart teams make to go and just round out their roster. You know, obviously now he's playing a position at second base that he has never played before. But when you look at things on the defensive spectrum, transitioning from shortstop to second base is uh, one of the easier shifts um, defensively that an infielder can make. But what it also then does is in the event if Tim has any sort of injury issues here this year, as you know, you have competency that you can then plug in at that shortstop position. And someone that you know you can trust that has been at this level, played that position for an extended period of time. So it's it's just a good, sound move for this team. And again, if it doesn't work, it's three million bucks. You know, that's three million dollars that he who shall not be named doesn't get to be buried with, and that's a good thing. 
Well put, Steve. You uh, talking about addressing, you know, needs and doing, you know, filling a it, it, removing uncertainty. Uh, you kind of took the words out of my mouth there. Say proven depth at a position in need. That's the biggest thing that it fills for me. Um, you guys covered all the on-field aspects, and I, I will just add that I also don't expect him to hit at the same clip that he did when he came here. However, I expect him to bring the same smarts on the base pass and quality defense. And I know he is making a position change, but Steve, you just outlined one of the easier things to do. He's played up the middle his whole life. Um, he was willing to do that. And he even said that last year. Another thing on that, even with all the, you know, kind of crap culture that was around last year, I know they, there was a little surge uh, after his addition last year, uh, but then they did still fall off and he was still part of that, you know, ride at the very end. He even then still wanted to return to this team. So that at least tells me that he's a team guy and he's going to bring some veteran leadership in that regard. Um, beyond that, for our purposes, guys, I love the Elvis references. There are so many good GIF meme opportunities with Elvis Andrews and Elvis Presley. I fucking love it. I cannot wait to re reuse those recycle ones from last year and come up with even better ones for this year. Really looking forward to that. Johnny, I know you're you're the guy that runs all the social media stuff, and and you've got uh, you've got now a whole season worth of Elvis content that you can use. Uh, so I knew you were going to be happy with this signing. Love it, love it. Um, there's also a kind of byproduct of this though, and that was initially what we hear from Rick Hahn. He was kind of pumping Romy Gonzalez's tires a little bit, right? Now. He goes, does the 180 on it since Elvis is there, says Elvis is going to play second base. That moves Romy Gonzalez, I thought it was interesting terminology, into a Ben Zobris type of role. So that doesn't just mean he's going to fill in when guys need breaks uh, in the infield. He is going to play some infield like that, but they said possibility using in corner outfield spot. So what do you think we can get from Romy there? And then I guess the follow-up question to that would be, is this the end of Lurie Legend? I... I struggle to think that this is going to be the end of the legend on the South side. Um, to me, you know, he's actually, I think, an ideal spot to be a 26th man on a roster because he can play multiple infield positions. You can plug him in in the outfield, even spell in center field should Luis Robert, you know, be ouchie at all. So there is value there. And, and I've always said that I think – Leary was a victim of circumstances in that he was put in positions by his superiors to be overexposed on the diamond frequently. And based off of what Pedro Grifol is saying so far this spring, it doesn't sound as though that is going to be the case. So if you put Leary in the right position, I think he can be fine on this roster, actually. So to me, it 2021, perfect example. I think yeah. you saw him thrive in certain, you know, in proper usage, right? Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And so I think, you know, a guy like, you know, between now Lenin Sosa or, or Romy, both of those guys have minor league options available to them. So, and that's okay. And, you know, this now, again, kind of creates a little bit of competition within these, some of these pieces on the roster here is, okay, who is going to be the one to ultimately kind of step up and position themselves to make that roster. Um, because I think again, just Sosa and Romy, you know, they're not guarantees and Rick Hahn can talk about the Ben Zobrist role for, for Romy Gonzalez, all he wants. Um, he's got to go out there and he's got to prove it. He wasn't good last year 
Um, granted, it, it was a small sample size again for him up here at the big league level, but there are some some red flags with him, uh, particularly the bat to ball skills. Um, the strikeout to walk ratio was pretty alarming last year, so that is definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, so I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he is going to be on the roster. So that'll be something interesting to see play out here over the course of the Cactus League. I, I think Steve explained that very yep. well. I, I we don't have much to add there. We got we got another comment from Matthew Lucas, and I like this one. He says, I'm hoping the development staff and pro staff have better communication and know how to get the most out of these depth guys. I think that's a key thing there, um, you know, communicating what strengths are. Hey, if he's going to go and, and tool around in some of the corner outfield spots or whatever it may be uh, down in AAA, that's fine. It's a good place for him to do it. However, like you said, get that communication right and be fucking honest with yourselves not we're just going to throw him in there because we might have an injury in a pinch and he needs to go there if he's not performing up to the level that he should be or a serviceable major league player um at that you know position i would i know that there's been some kind of talk about previous experience at some of that but it's a whole nother ballgame to do at the big league level shit think of it i know they're different body types different uh you know kind of athletes, but look at just the Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn uh, sort of playing out of position shit that we had to deal with uh, over the last couple of years. So um, I think that's a good comment to bring up there, Matthew. Thank you for that. And, you know, I want to, I want to add something to yeah. that because that, that is a really astute point there by, by Matthew. I've said for a while, one of the criticisms that I've had about this organization from the player development side in particular is that you look at this quote unquote core group right now, all of these highly rated, highly touted prospects, um, a lot of prospect pedigree. And then we've seen them stall and not really reach their apex here at the big league level. And hopefully now the change in, in the coaching staff, um, you know, could potentially look at different ways of doing things, more modern ways of doing things to hopefully improve that and keep these guys progressing and developing at the big league level because it doesn't just stop the minute that you get to the corner of 35th and shields, that's what really separates guys from just your replacement level players to your everyday players, to your, you know, all-star players, to your MVP caliber players is you have to continue that upward progression. And hopefully we start to see some of that now this year. Well said, well said, Tony, anything to add on Romy or uh, Elvis or Larry, any of those guys? No, I don't have anything to add there, but I do have a question for you guys in terms of this player development and, and sort of on the same topic. When you talk about guys who are a little more versatile, like a Romy Gonzalez, what do you guys expect to see out of Jake Berger this season? I mean, he's another one of those names oh, where you've got a you've got a prospect pedigree here, but he's sort of limited positionally. What do you you're guys, gonna you're gonna need him at third base when Yoan inevitably gets injured. That's my answer off the bat. It's gonna happen. That's fair, but is he just depth here? Is he a trade piece? Is he somebody that's going to see a lot of big league time with the Chicago White Sox outside of just injury replacement for Yohan Moncada? Because, Johnny, I'll, I'll say this. If we do get ourselves into that point, and you've got Larry Garcia who can play third base, you've got Romy Gonzalez who can slide over to play third. I've heard it you know, shouted around that you know Elvis Andrews could also slide over there in a pinch. I don't think that I would primarily put – Either, any of those guys over Jake Berger, but, you know, I see the potential where, you know, we're in a, in a stretch where they need another arm to come up and they just sort of deal with it internally versus 
bringing Jake Berger along. I don't think he's got a really viable path to make this roster out of camp either. And no, not yeah. not no for Jake Berger on that. No, he's starting the year in AAA. But what they if they both have options, what's the danger in maybe you let Romy since he's the guy that's there and they do that, Tony? There's inevitably going to be a pitcher that gets injured, cold weather shit. It's going to happen. Um, maybe they, you know, elect to do that and say Yoan has, you know, his off day or whatever, the load management, whatever, whatever the hell we're doing with them uh, to, to try and extend him. Whatever may arise there, and you try Romy there, and you're still seeing some of those issues, like Steve had mentioned there, uh, with the strikeout to walk, you know, uh, ratio there. And then what's the danger then in sending him down and calling Jake Berger up for that stint then? You're not getting what you want there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that's a role that Jake Berger can come up like he did early on in the campaign last year when Yoan was still sidelined and maybe show some pop, add yeah. some life to the lineup, add a couple extra he, dingers, right? He did, he did that very well last season. We even got a comment, Berger's battle find its way into the lineup eventually this season. I, I'd like to think so as well. He's he's had that pop. Steve, I'll, I'll toss it to you for any thoughts on that. <laughs> Yeah, Berger's really in a weird spot as far as with the roster construction here. That's the thing that makes it a little bit challenging. I think he's somebody that really would be very well served um, to see a lot of action against left-handed pitching in particular. How they're going to go by finding a way to get him those at-bats, though, is ultimately going to be the the big question there. Um, I just don't know that there is a really, like you guys were saying, a viable path to him starting with the big league club outside of some injury happening during the course of spring training here, unfortunately. Um, but it just kind of highlights some of the weird pieces of, of the roster, so to speak, and some of the lack of versatility, you know, with guys like Andrew Vaughn and then, you know, factoring in, okay, you know, what's going to happen in, right field is Oscar Colas going to take that position, which then is going to have an impact on your baby boy, Anthony. You know, so there's a lot of different, a lot of different things happening here. Um, you know, obviously, if Yasmani Grandal can be the consistent everyday catcher, that's going to open up um, some opportunity potentially for DH at bats. Maybe you know, again, when a left-handed pitcher is on the mound, if that's where you maybe see Eloy um, going into one of the corner outfield spots on occasion. So it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch here for sure. Right. A lot of factors at play with that. I would I would guess that, you know, you had talked about that. I didn't realize you were saying Jake Berger possibly making opening day roster. I thought it was just kind of in my mind, foregone conclusion, given the roster construction um, kind of constraints that Steve had mentioned that he would start in AAA and then be called upon when there's going to be inevitably an injury or underperformance. That, that could also be the case. And one of the guys that has options, they can be back, back down, give Jake Berger his time. Yeah, Johnny, that's sort of my thought, too. I guess I'm just sort of in, in the whole player development grand scheme of things. Are we past the point where you thought Jake Berger would have grabbed on to a starting role here in Chicago as a former first round draft pick, even despite the injuries that he had? I thought he played well at the big league level last year. The team really, really relied on his bat in the middle of the lineup for a while. It's just I, I know that we've gone in circles on this roster construction thing, especially last year um, with, you know, all of the first base, third base, corner outfield guys with even people playing out of position. I'm just I'm sort of shocked that he hasn't solidified himself a spot here. And obviously he's blocked by 
former phenom Johan Moncada at his natural position. But to me, it's sort of shocking because I would rather have Jake Berger's bat in Chicago than Romy Gonzalez. It just doesn't fit positionally. Um, and with the versatility that a guy like Romy and Garcia offer, uh, they sort of have two of the same sort of guys. Um, obviously, Lurie could play a little bit of outfield as well, too. But I'm, I'm just sort of shocked that we don't have a path for Berger at the moment. And then, you know, we haven't really pulled the trigger on moving him somewhere for anything back. So I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were going into the season. What will wind up happening with, with Mr. Berger? I think you bring up a good point. And on paper, you're talking about a former first-round pick drafted as highly as he was. Sure, you would think that, oh, how is this guy not carved out a roster spot guaranteed, right, by this point. But when you go and look at it subjectively, and look at all of his injury history. Um, I know you had kind of discounted those. That set, I mean, dude, that, that was like a, what, three, three and a half year setback almost uh, in terms of where he could be on that. And then, uh, you know, we, we've beat it to death with, with the roster construction standpoint. But um, looking at it subjectively, I guess I wouldn't say I'm too shocked that he hasn't. But you're, you're right. For a first-round pick, I think you would have expected that. Um, and if you just gave the hypothetical scenario, player A is not at this level yet. And you would say, what the hell is, you know, going on with this? What's going on with White Sox player development? What's going on with player A? But then when you go and look at it in the unfortunate circumstances that Berger endured, and we had the COVID shit, um, you know, you, you lost a minor league season there. So it's it's really, really tough on that. Um, so I guess I'm not surprised to answer your question. <laughs> Fair enough. What else yeah. we got, Johnny? All right. Uh, as we roll on to the end of this show, guys, uh, another uh, kind of up and coming. So let's talk about prospects reaching the bigs here. Um, Oscar Colas, Tony, you and I had a conversation uh, in person last night and we were talking about Oscar Colas. And I guess my question is for you guys, are we hyped about him? Because I think I've seen both sides of the coin on this one and I don't know exactly. I want to hear your guys' takes, and I'll give mine after, but it's kind of hard because I feel like I should be more hyped about him. But go ahead. Johnny, I'm sort of in the same camp as you, and I know we did discuss this a little bit yesterday. I'll pretty much say the exact same thing here. It's really hard for me to get hyped about Oscar Colas, and I don't don't exactly know why. Um, Part of it, as as you and I sort of chatted about, is – our focus is at the major league level right now, comparative to where we were just a couple of years ago when we had all sorts of shiny things that we were looking at grainy highlights of minor league baseball coverage and being really excited to see Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert or even Yoad Moncada take that next step. Um, still tuned in to the happenings. I'm not as big of a Project Birmingham guy as the guy below me, NWI Steve, is, but it's sort of feels like the hype isn't there as much as it was for any of those guys. I know he's sort of catapulted himself up the top 100 prospect rankings. Um, But for what we've seen and sort of that, you know, same topic of player development, it's really hard for me to expect him to come up here and actually be a major impact player um, given the circumstances as really none of these guys have. Um, and so it's just, I think it's that track record of what we've seen with, you know, player development and guys coming up and Johnny, like you said, we like guys who come up and rake immediately. Um, 
maybe he'll be the one that proves us wrong. But I just feel like there were shiny objects ahead of him um, to get really excited about and feel a little bit let down uh, by some of those over the past couple of seasons. But I think Steve's going to have a better answer than than I'm able to give. He's a little bit more tuned in, to, like I said, to the whole Project Birmingham thing. And I know he was down there uh, doing that with the rest of all of the prospects in camp. And I would say outside of Oscar Colas, there's only one other real name in this farm system that I'm really excited about, and that's Colson Montgomery. But I, I just don't, I don't, I guess, have the hype for it. And maybe I'm a little biased because he might come up and steal a lot of playing time for my baby boy. So I'll tune it over to somebody who doesn't have a horse in this race, Steve. Well, I mean, I have a horse in the race because I want, you know, the White Sox to win baseball games. So there's that, um, you know, look at, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat as both of you in that having been burnt by other prospects of recent vintage that were of higher pedigree um, than Oscar Colas is, it's just kind of like a take a wait and see approach with it. You know, there are still some concerns with him amongst evaluators about his plate approach and overall plate discipline. Um, you know, he, he got off to a very torrid start when he arrived in Birmingham last year. And then, you know, some of the strikeout to walk issues that, that I talked about, um, you know, earlier with Roman Gonzalez, they kind of happened with Oscar Colosser, but he was kind of making up for that just because when he was connecting with the baseball, he was doing damage with it um so almost you know kind of reminiscent maybe of like a left-handed Dion Viciato but you know so I think that's tank yeah yeah so I think maybe you got me perked up now (laughs) all ears I I think maybe that's just part part of it is like, like I said I mean we've seen you know this team have three or four guys that have been ranked top 30 in all of baseball in terms of overall prospect rankings come up and not make huge impacts right away or do it consistently. So collectively as a fan base, I feel like there is just very much a tempered enthusiasm with him for lack right. of a better term. I think that's a smart approach, Steve. Can you, I, I just, uh, you're just inherently more tuned into prospect pool than Tony and I are. So can you give shed any light on defensively? I know you talked about offense there. I think that's a good analysis, but defensively, I just haven't heard a whole, whole lot because when we saw the grainy highlights, it was always just him mashing bombs, which is cool and tough. I love that. I love seeing that. And I heard he hit a one like 485. That's awesome. However, what's defense like? The the defense is actually rated out very well. Um, he actually spent some time in Winston-Salem and even when he got to Birmingham playing center field, I don't feel like he's got the body type that is going to hold up playing center field in at the major league level there. But from everything that I have read and from, you know, what I did observe of him last year, um, I think that is more than a competent right fielder out there. So, um, you know, the idea of having him and Luis Robert taking up, you know, two thirds of your outfield, and then obviously Andrew Benintendi that has the makings of, I think potentially an above average outfield defense, 
which is something that we haven't seen in a number of years here at, at this point. So um, that is pretty encouraging from that aspect over here. So if there are struggles at the plate initially with his aggressiveness and overall plate approach, hopefully he doesn't take that out to the field with him and he can still make positive contribution um, when he, when he's standing in the grass. What am I even doing here? You, you just, just take the thoughts out of my brain and say I'm there. I was going to say that if, there's going to be struggles at the plate. I think any rookie hitter is going to go through slumps, right? Shit, any veteran hitter can too. It happens. It's baseball. It's a long season. But you said taking that out into the field, leaving you know, leaving that in the dugout, being able to still play serviceable defense there because that overall just adds value. Then, especially an area that had been lacking in that position that he is most likely slated to play. So took the words out of my mouth, and I I will say I feel like I'm once again being cautiously kind of approaching this wait and see approach there. But after your analysis there, Steve, I think I am feeling a little bit better about him. So thank you for that. I think the plate approach comments from Steve there, Johnny sort of scare me just a little bit um, in terms of, I feel like we've seen this movie before uh, in terms of that exact aggressive plate approach that has led to some not so positive results from guys who come up some Luis Robert struggles. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit, just a little bit, right. but you know, it overall, it feels like, you know, we've, we've gone to this car dealer and we've bought, <laughs> bought this car before. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have to take it in for service a lot. Now they're trying to sell us another one. And I'm just like, I, I don't know if I want to do, I don't know if I want to sign this contract. I, I just don't because it, it's, it's so scary every single time. It's always got problems. Yeah. Um, but Hey, maybe, maybe we'll be proven wrong. I saw you doing a little praying over there, Johnny. Right, yeah, and that that, that was you know the, the the hope for you know what Steve had kind of mentioned there in all of, you know everything that he kind of outlined there about Oscar Colas. But yeah, it's I think it's safe to to take that approach of the you know kind of more wait and see on it. But I also from a you know young player coming up to the show and. A lot of people had said, and obviously I think this was earlier in the offseason, this is before Benintendi and, um, you know, maybe some of the moves you, before you knew you always slimmed down coming into camp or that was his intention to fully play um, in, in the outfield again. And he's you know, committed to that. I think people were already awarding him the job and because, you know, the way too early lineup predictions, right, for this team. And everyone said, oh, well, Oscar Colas is going to be your starting right fielder. And so a lot of people all gung-ho on that. And being awarded that role. We've seen guys come up and on opening day be awarded that role in the outfield at both other spots, right? Left field, right field. Can we complete the trifecta? Or to be left field, center field, complete the trifecta here uh, with right field, Oscar Colas there. And like you said, Tony, I think that kind of track record of that is what kind of made me weary of it. So we will just have to wait and see, but I hope the pressure of anything that comes with, you know, playing at the highest level of the game, um, doesn't affect him too much when struggles inevitably come about. And I hope that the new regime leadership in the dugout is able to help manage that. And then going back to something that um, Matt in the comments here brought up earlier, uh, the communication between the you know development staff and then the pro staff. Um, how do we best handle this? You know, he did a lot of raking, a lot of mashing last year uh, throughout various levels of the minor leagues, but, can they take anything away from when there was maybe a struggle? Maybe there was a time of a little bit too much chase. Maybe there was a little bit too much time of too many strikeouts and all that. Can we apply any of that to maybe help calm him down, not feel like the world's burning down if he goes on a, you know, week-long streak where he's, you know, hitting like, you know, 
in the hundreds, right? That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, no, I think that would be um, a good thing if if this staff was able to provide not just Oscar Colas, but the rest of this roster with the tools to help them better understand how guys are approaching them uh, when, when they get in the batter's box. And that's you know some of the things that they've talked about a little bit here this spring and in the lead up to uh, camp assembling there was some of the new data and, and some of the new information that is being shared with the hitters. And hopefully that will help to alleviate some of those issues, particularly for a guy like Oscar Colas, who is going to be getting his first taste of major league pitching here. So um, that is also going to be another interesting storyline to watch here uh, this season to see and, and hope maybe just maybe the White Sox finally have a good quality, competent coaching staff. One can only hope. All right, um, guys, as we're winding down this episode, uh, season four, episode 120 of the Sox on Tap podcast, we thank all of our listeners for tuning in here along, uh, you know, uh, with YouTube, Facebook, on Twitter, if you're there too. But remember, uh, we can't see the comments if you post them in Twitter. We appreciate you viewing there, but if you want to featured on here on the show, Go to youtube.com slash ontapsportsnet. Um, hit the alert button so you know when we go live. Uh, jump in the comments. Love to talk White Sox with all of you. Um, well, let's wind it down with the last few fun notes. Uh, any nuggets that you've seen from spring training? Um, Luis Robert Jr. Now, guys, does the junior add any other extra, you know, umph to his game? I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how Steve handles the R rolls and then adds a junior this season we're gonna be so out of breath yeah it's gonna be interesting I, I'm, I'm curious to see if he rolls the r on the junior at the end um so we'll have to wait for luis robert to hit a home run Lu, sorry luis robert jr to hit a home run before we can figure that one out but i'm i'm really curious to see how how steve's gonna handle that this year uh, and i do think it might add a little bit of love uh to his game i'm also curious to see if the jerseys change Oh, they will. I mean, did you see the photos that they yeah. posted today? And it, I did, the tweet, I did not. The, they they the have Junior on the back. Quite yep. literally said Luis Robert Jr. And it was just Luis Robert standing there, but it was from the back. And it, Robert Jr., 88. Okay. So vintage jerseys so from Luis I, Robert. Did you get, you've got a Robert jersey, don't you? I do. It's the, the OG, Luis Robert. Um, and, and it's in Steve's favorite one, you know, the, the, the softball uniforms. Uh, Make but, me fucking <laughs> sick. <laughs> hey. At least I'm not wearing pinstripe pants uh, when I wear it. I think it looks good for a uh, you know fan attire um, in that regard, Steve. Because I do think the pants are a little bit off there, but that's neither here nor there. Um, with this, Tony, I, I'm worried that I'm going to in our articles at Ontap Sportsnet as the editor over there, I'm going to screw up and forget the junior within that text more often than Luis Roberts going to hit the ball over the fence this year. That's what I'm concerned about. Ooh, ooh. We'll have to fix that. We've got to change. We got to change a bunch of stuff on the website now. Look at that! You just created a bunch of work. Right. That that's that's just where I was at with that. Um, also, another thing I thought it was funny. They always wear the white jerseys. I know that's just kind of their standard. Everyone does that with their standard home jerseys for like these photo ops and the media day. That's what they're doing down there. And of course, they take all the promo pictures so they can show them up on the scoreboard. How many times are they actually going to wear the fucking white jerseys this year? They're going to do that only to wear them like thirty times at home max, if that. Maybe they should uh, wear those a little bit more. I, I, Jay Kuda did the uniform tracker last season. I'm not yeah, exactly sure where they the, wound up in terms of record with those things, but I'd like to see the the whites out a little bit more. I th 
I think they were inflated though, because if you remember, was that at the beginning of the season, they still had a supply chain issue. So I remember going on a Sunday in April and they weren't wearing 83s and people were wondering, did they retire the 83s? But no, it was just a supply chain thing. So each team only had basically two jerseys to start the year. So that was inflated. And I, I don't think it's the worst thing because I honestly, if we're going to wear pinstripes, I'd rather have the vests. I'm in that camp, bring those babies back. However, um, I think the black looks good. Black with the white pants looks good. That's probably my, I, I love the script on the gray jerseys too, but the all gray um, can kind of, you know, you maybe get a little tedious if you're on a road trip, seeing that day after day. I like the blacks. The only, you know, my biggest complaint with the gray jersey is the patch on the sleeve that has just the, the, the regular logo on it when they did away with the diamond sock. Right. Uh, you know, that's just not right. That's I, a situation that needs to be rectified immediately. I would, agree with, with I would agree yeah. with Steve here. Yes, absolutely. Because the setup was, you know, the black jerseys, obviously I know it's they have the this logo, the, the standard Gothic um, logo on the chest. So then they use the diamond logo, which looks great. That's why part of why I like the black jerseys a lot. But it was sweet when they just had that same setup, but on great because the script looks good too. The, the iconic, you know, kind of Chicago script that similar to the Bulls um, and kind of their, you know, 80s kind of look there too. So, um, I don't know. That's a little uniform talk, a little banter. Huh? I'm a uniform nerd. So I, I had to air that shit out. Any other fun shit that you guys have seen from spring training, maybe a little more lighthearted? I think we've div- uh, dove into all the pertinent topics on field shit here. Um, but uh, last call here. You know, just. Um... Every, every day kind of getting that update on twatter.com to see who's riding in the go-karts together, um, you know, really monitoring this situation. So, again, it's going to be something fascinating for me when I get out there in a couple of weeks, lay eyes on it a little bit, see who's riding with who, who's rolling together out there, creating that com- camaraderie and that bond. So, Something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Steve, so you just mentioned that. Let's, when are you going out there? Yeah, give the listeners. Make sure you follow in at NWI underscore Steve on Twitter and at Sox on Tap so you can get these updates. But, Steve, when are you going to be out there so people can know when to expect the content? I will be – confirm things in person. Yeah, I will be making my, um, making my return to the desert on Sunday, March the 12th. So I will be in attendance for the game that afternoon. Naturally, the team has an off day the following day, so I'm going to go take in some uh, international exhibition play at Chase Field there and then uh, right back on the horse with the Sox then uh, through Thursday of that week. So going to be a nice little week out there in, in the sun, have a couple two-tree pops, go get wild in, out in the streets of Scottsdale, see what happens. I love it. Love it. Love to see it. Wish we could make the trek down there too, Tony. But um, final thoughts, wrap it up here. Last call on this early spring training edition. Don't have much here for you, Johnny, but uh, I agree with Steve. The the go-kart situation down in Arizona right now is something that uh, I've had my eyes on as well. Saw Lance Lynn Ooh. behind the wheel a couple, two, three times. Uh, he's, he's looking we mighty need- fine driving around the go-karts. Um, TA, I know some great shit. Tony, like you had mentioned last night, not to you know, reveal it, but we need him in the uh, Azizi Top music video driving one of the cars. Yes, yes. We'll see what we can make happen here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it's Fear the Beard season is is back. So I'm happy that uh, we are here. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting spring training over reactor season. Um, that's right. sort of my final thought. Don't know when that's going to start happening. Uh, but, I can uh, tell you when. I've I've been I've been patiently waiting 
spring training over reactor season. Here's, I mean, here's ultimately what it comes down to. And this is going to be my, my parting thoughts for the evening for our listeners. Sunday is the biggest game of Pedro Grafol's life. He has to go out there and hashtag set the tone for the season. They've been talking about this all week. You can't win a division title. You can't lose it or you can't win a division title in the spring, but you sure as hell can lose it. We saw that last year going out there, lax attitude. So I want to see them go out there Sunday. When I get off that plane in San Jose, California, I'm going to be tuning in. I'm going to use whatever technology I have at my disposal to get this game in front of me. And I want to see what kind of lineup Pedro Gafol is putting together on that field because that is a must win, baby. Absolutely. I think that's a great note to send out on. Steve, show the people that shirt once again. I want to let them know. On tap sports. Got the tone, baby. Got us out the tone, as Steve just outlined the importance of. On tap sports.bigcartel.com. Go and get yourself a shirt, set the tone uh, for the season with us here at Sox on Tap. We appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in here. Tony, hit it. Until next time, White Sox forever. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. 